Welcome to the May 22nd Sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6-18, through 18, and the sermon is entitled, Work Together and Work Hard, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We have been on a verse-by-verse study through the books of 1 and 2 Thessalonians in your Bible, and we're going to conclude that sermon series today. So I want you to get your Bible out, go to your New Testament. If you're at home watching online, get your Bible out, go to the New Testament with me to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to be in chapter 3 today as we close this letter out. This is a letter of instruction and guidance that the missionary Paul sent to a brand new church of brand new Christians in the European city of Thessalonica. He and his mission team had traveled through Thessalonica and they had seen these varied kinds of people, Jewish background, Gentile background, different shades of skin, different cultural backgrounds. They saw this group of people saved and they took all of that group of people in all of the variety of lifestyles and they put them together as one church. We stand on the same principle today as they stood on the principle 2,000 years ago and that is no matter who you are, where you're from, the Spirit of God living in our hearts joins us together as brothers and sisters, and it overcomes all the barriers that we've ever laid before us. All the barriers are gone because Jesus joins us as one body. Amen? That's true for us. It was true for Thessalonica. It is true for us today. Now, as I think about Paul writing these letters to the church at Thessalonica, he would have loved to have stayed there and guided and pastored those churches for a period of time. But he and his ministry team in Thessalonica were hated by the city leaders. They did not want churches there. They didn't want a Jesus movement there. And so they persecuted and punished this mission team and finally completely ran them out of the city of Thessalonica. They had the command to never return. They were persecuted out of the city. So from a distant city... Paul writes these two letters of instruction and guidance for the church at Thessalonica. He probably thought, in his human mind, he probably thought, I'm doing the second best thing I could do. I would have loved to have stayed there. The first thing I could have done and should have done was to stay there in Thessalonica and pastored that church personally and raised them up in the Lord. So writing letters from a distant place is the second best thing I could do. But isn't it amazing how God works out his will? If Paul had had the freedom to stay in Thessalonica and pastor that church, all of his words and all of his counsel and all of his direction to the church would have been given to that one single church. But because of persecution and because of punishment being run out of the city, Paul writing these letters, he has instructed thousands of churches over 2,000 years. Isn't that amazing when you think of it in terms of what God has done through persecution in a man's life? God in his infinite wisdom took a bad thing and made it a very good thing. You know, God is good at that. God is an expert at that. God always can take a bad thing and he can turn it to his glory and turn it to his good. I'm reminded of those words in Romans 8:28, and you know them well. All things work together for good, but listen here, don't miss this to them that love God. All things work together for good to them that love God. That's an important 
part, an important statement in that verse that we have to have a surrendered commitment to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and God can take all the things of our life and turn them to give him glory and to give him blessing and to bring us good because we're his children. God does not waste a second of time. God does not waste a single day of our life. And God doesn't waste any activity or anything that happens in our life to bring us good. That's his promise, and we know that is true, and I love that truth. So as we approach the end today of 2 Thessalonians, Paul is addressing the church. And I'm going to address it just as Paul addressed it by the very word of God. Paul is addressing a regrettable situation that has arisen in this young church body. Ministry was far from easy for them, and these Christians who were very young in the faith faced opposition and persecution every day in the city of Thessalonica. And so Paul had written to give them guidance and to give them hope in their situation in a godless city, but they were to continue to extend ministry there. So in order to give them comfort as a church, Paul had written to them, take heart and take hope, because the day is coming when Jesus is going to return and take his church back home. The rapture of the church is coming. It could come in the next five minutes, but Jesus is going to return for his church very soon. We see that assurance as he wrote it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. That is the key passage of the Bible about the second coming of Jesus and the rapture of the church. It first went to this little church in Thessalonica where Paul was giving them hope, saying, Jesus is going to return for you. Jesus has not misplaced you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He also refers to Jesus coming a second time in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. But here's the problem. Now, tune in with me. Here's the problem that had arisen in this Thessalonican church. With the promises of Jesus' imminent return, here's where the problem came for the church. Some of these Christians thought that the coming of Jesus was so close and so imminent that the skies could break open at any moment for Jesus to come back for his church. They believed that it was so close that they quit their jobs. And they quit providing for their families so that the families of this Thessalonican church were beginning to be in want and struggling because so many had quit their jobs and just looked to the skies waiting for Jesus to come at any moment. As time passed, families became to be in want. Christian church members were hungry, destitute, because those who were providing for them had quit their jobs and were looking at the skies. And so the church as a whole had to pitch in and help those families that were hungry and destitute. They were no longer taking care of themselves. And that was a problem. So Paul writes to address this problem that had arisen in the church. He addresses this problem of non-provision of church members. And essentially he was addressing laziness that had arisen in the church body. So I want you to read his counsel today with me. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to begin with verses 6 through 15. I will end the chapter, so keep your Bible open. But let's look at these verses. Begin with verse 6. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Here's what Paul says. Remember, remember now he is speaking on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost. These are inspired, inerrant words of God. 
but also he's speaking on behalf of his mission team. So when he, you see him say we, that means he and his mission team together. So verse 6, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. For even when, ye were, when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Let's stop there. May God bless these perfect words that come from the very heart of God through the pen of Paul. What we're seeing here is Paul dealing with laziness in the church. Go back to verse 6. For we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. I defined tradition last week in the sermon. The law of God that's laid out for them to hear and understand. So as we see these words, we know that indeed God is giving a word to this church that's going through a laziness streak. I want you to underline the two words in that verse, command and disorderly. Now, other translations say brothers who are disruptive, irresponsible, idle, lazy. So other translations bear out those words. The great missionaries writing to the church, I am sending you and giving you a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, command, that word is a military term. Just as the general commands his army, the same connection there. And what Paul is saying is, I am an officer of the supreme commander of the army of Jesus Christ. So I'm passing a command that comes from the head. I am the messenger passing a command to you from the Lord, and you will listen to me because the command is from him. My command is coming from the king. And I want you to hear what I'm saying to the church. Here's the king's command, church. Separate out lost, lazy people from among you. Laziness, according to the word of God, is not an, as, uh, uh, as an act of God. It is not of God. It is not from God. Laziness is not from God within the church body. That's what scripture is teaching us. So Paul says our mission team didn't teach any believer among you while we lived there. We didn't teach any of you to be lazy. 
That's the last thing my mission team did was to teach the church body to be lazy. Verse 7, Paul says, When we were with you there in Thessalonica as a mission team, my mission team didn't behave that way. All of the missionaries who were with me, including myself, we worked very hard. We made our own way among you. We ate our own bread. We paid for our own shelter. We didn't ask the church to do anything for us because we wanted to teach you that laziness is not a part of being a Christian. We gave you a good example of what being a child of God is. Again, now, we know that this is Paul's personal testimony. Look at verse 8. 2 Thessalonians 3, 8. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So Paul's personal testimony, he says, we didn't come into your city to eat your bread. We didn't come into your city to take an offering of money to bolster our own purses. But rather, we came to work hard to teach you the love of Jesus. We worked day and night to pay our own way, to show you and to teach you that people of God are hardworking people and that we take care of ourselves. Look at verse 9. Not because we have not power but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. Paul's saying all ministers of the gospel have the blessing of God to be supported by those to whom they minister. Believe me, Clifford Baptist Church, you have ministered to my family well, providing for our needs over many, many years. You provided us a home. You provided a way for two children to get through college. You provided every meal. You provided for my family extremely well. That's a gift of God to the pastor's family. And Paul said that is a right that the pastor can expect from the church. That's a godly functioning of the church to take care of the leadership of the church. But Paul says, we didn't come into your city to eat your bread. We could have rightly asked you to feed us. It's a godly thing for the people of God to support their leadership. But we missionaries chose to be an example of hard work for you. So we laid aside our right for you to take care of us so we could show you that we worked hard to stay there with you. Now, you might want to underline verse 10. This is a key verse here in this passage. It's straightforward. It doesn't pull any punches. It's a definition and an exposition of tough love within the church body. But it is still truth for the day. God's truth does not change. So verse 10 says this. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. That's pretty tight, isn't it? That, that's, that's right out there. there. There's no way that you can uh, explain that away. Laziness will not be supported by the church, and that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Even Paul says, when we spent time with you in Thessalonica, we taught Christians to work. Again, if you look in that verse, you'll see the word command, the military term. I'm passing to you the very word of the Lord Jesus Christ. We commanded God's guideline to the church. Do not reward, do not support, do not enable laziness in the church family. If able-bodied, capable people refuse to work, well, Paul says, by the word of God, they won't eat. The expression of tough love. What are you going to do now? If you're hungry, go get a job. Feed your family. 
That's exactly what the Word of God is teaching this church and the church through the ages to do. Provide for ourselves when we're able-bodied and, and capable of doing that. Now, let me qualify that. You'll notice what Paul says here in this verse is, if Christians will not work, what does that imply? That they can work. That they're able to get a job. That they're able-bodied, able to get out to get the work. And if they choose not to, well, then they'll just be hungry. But I want you to listen in the church. There's a whole different matter here if a Christian brother or sister cannot work. In that regard and in that case, all of the benevolence ministry of the church is to apply to those people, to that family, to that one who cannot work. We are commissioned to take care of those who cannot be productive. That is absolutely true. If that is the case, then we pulled in the full weight of our ministry to help people. But there's a huge difference in the Bible between those who will not work and those who cannot work. Do you see the difference? There's a huge difference there. In fact, in verse 11, Paul says, Christians who are not working have way too much time on their hands and they get into trouble. Look at verse 11, chapter 3. For we here, so here's the mission team in a foreign location, but they're getting word from the church. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. So some non-working, non-productive, not feeding their families, church members, doing zero, have time to kill, and they have become a busy body. Now, I've looked up that word. It is, it is in most of our translations, the word busybodies. Basically, that means a person who is absolutely non-productive, and in that state, they get into trouble. You know, there's old saying that idle hands are the devil's workshop, and also idle lips are the devil's mouth, mouthpiece. There's truth in that. The Greek word for busybody means simply a time waster. A person who sits around and wastes the time of the day, which could be put into productive things. They refuse to do labor, and because they have all this time on their hands, they start to meddle in other people's business. And so they become counterproductive rather than productive. They're bringing problems in the church, themselves being the first of the problems, and then their busybody activity being the second problem that develops in the church. So instead of working with their hands, they start to gossip about all the other people in the church. Paul says, you're using your time terribly. Rather than being productive, you're being counterproductive in the church. To invest in worthless things. To spend the day not being productive. To throw away valuable time. I want to tell you, friends, that's dumb. According to the gospel of Mike Fitzgerald, that's just plain dumb to waste your time. You know, I've had to correct many, many, many people over these last months. Folks who say, I'm so glad that you're retiring. I'm not retiring. I'm not going to waste my life in a rocking chair. God is just repurposing what I'm going to do. I don't know all of that is, what it is yet, but I do know he's going to send me out to the field. I know it. I know it. But I know that God has a use for me. And I will be useful to him till the last breath I take. My prayer is that for you as well. Let's be useful for him. But to throw away valuable time 
Wasting time, that's dumb. You know, it's hard for me to believe, but this is absolutely true. In the very recent past, somebody online has stolen my identity as a pastor and emailed my church family saying, I need $500, send it to me now. And they give some phony address, so you'll send your money to somebody who's going to steal it from you in my name. That just makes me angry to think that someone would use me to steal from you. What a waste of time. You know, it's amazing to me. I know that person. I can hardly turn a computer on. But these people are geniuses on computer to be able to do that kind of thing. But as far as I'm concerned, they're a genius with a computer, but they're dumb as a rock to steal from you in my name. What a waste of time. What a waste of a life that they would do such a thing throughout the church body. Verse 12, Paul says, Church, Jesus' command through me is to quietly, diligently, honestly work and provide for your own family and eat your own bread. And here's the word for the church that is still in effect. Look at verses 14 and 15. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So Paul says here, I want you to note laziness in your congregation. I don't want you to hate these church members. I don't want you to hate your brothers and sisters. They're not your enemy. But just don't support their laziness. You don't have to be mean to these people. They're your brothers and sisters. But don't, don't enable their laziness. Don't enable their non-productivity. Don't support that. Correct them and direct them as brothers and sisters to get out and to do the honest work that God has given them the strength to do. So they can be productive in the church, productive in their family, and they can eat their own bread. So listen, this is not a passage of rejection within the church family, but rather it's viable church discipline. The church still needs discipline. And this is viable discipline to the church in that day, and it still applies today. People didn't want, uh, Paul didn't want people to starve. Paul didn't want the church to have to pool their money to take care of people who could be out there having their own job. The key verse is really verse 13. Look at that verse. Verse 13. But ye brethren, now remember brethren as brothers and sisters. That's an expression of love. He loves these people. He's not, he's not fussing at them. He's directing them. He is guiding them because he loves them. So he says, ye brothers and sisters, be not weary in well-doing. So as you boil it all down, what Paul is saying is entire church, do the right thing. Be the people of God in your setting. Love the Lord. Preach His Word. Invite the lost. Go out into your community with the love of Jesus Christ. And then also, church, take care of your own needs. Minister within, taking care of one another. Begin by taking care of your own family. And then turn your look outward. Where does my church family need help? Love your church family. Support one another. Be a working part of your church, showing your church you love them. The truth for today, friends, is let's work together 
This is what Paul is saying. As simple as this, let's work together to be a healthy, cooperating, ministering church. Ministering to one another, but being healthy enough that we can go now into the world to minister to the world that's lost. We, we want to we focus our ministry outside of these doors. So let's take care of one another and then together walk out to share the love of Christ with the world. Well, let's, let's finish with verses 16 through 18. As Paul closes his letter, a letter of guidance, a letter of love, and you can see that by this ending, a very tough love in some places, but a letter of love, he closes it like this, verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now you'll notice, as you see verse 17, it says that I'm concluding this letter with my own handwriting. Most of the time, a man of Paul's stature would dictate his letter, and an amanuensis, a secretary, would write it down. But then at the very end, Paul takes the pen, and just like you sign your letter, he says, this salutation is by my own handwriting. This letter is from me. It's a letter of love. It's a letter of guidance. It's a letter to guide your church into the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as I close this study of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, please let me tell you this. These have been hard sermons because it's the truth of how God wants to deal with this church and keep us in the footsteps of Jesus and keep us in line that we can take the ministry not so much just concentrating on ourselves, but we have the freedom and the health to take the ministry outside where people are dying and need the Savior. That's where we're needed. So we have a healthy church inside so we can take the love of Christ outside. That's still the force of the church. It's still the direction of the church. The footsteps of Jesus will always lead us outside of the doors, always. That's the truth of the Word. So as I close this study, I see three main points that carry the church. This kind of boiling these two letters together. Let me give you three points briefly of what I think overall these two letters say. Number one, no matter what challenges or trials or hardships come in this world, stand strong, church. Stand strong in courage. Never compromise the Word of God. Stand on Jesus Christ. Stand on this Word alone because this is the truth this is the way and it points to jesus christ as the life he is the way and the truth and the life never follow the mind of man church always follow the will of god and the word of god here's point number two that i see in these two letters of thessalonians never forget indeed the day of the lord is coming you know, this church in Thessalonica thought it might come in the next five minutes, and yet Jesus now has tarried over 2,000 years. But don't get sidetracked because he could come in the next five minutes. He could come to rapture his church and take us home to be with him. You can keep an eye on the sky because he may just come any moment, but never take your hand off the plow of the work of the ministry. Never sit down and wait 
You can keep your eye on the sky, but don't take your hand off the plow. Keep on ministering. Keep on preaching the word. Keep on teaching the children. Keep on reaching the lost. As we prepare for Jesus to come, if he tarries, we want to prepare the church for every tomorrow that's ahead of us. Amen? Keep your hand on the plow, church. Always doing the work of the Lord. Here's point number three, and I see it as very, very important. Work together in love, church. Work together loving one another. We're not a group of disconnected strangers. We're a family of brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And because of that, we can work together in that love relationship with one another. And I believe in this very room right here, there's enough love to change the world. And we need to allow Jesus to use us however he sees fit. And I'm so thankful for everyone, for everyone who joins us online today. You take the love of Christ to your community. Wherever you are, take the love of Jesus out because he loves you so very deeply. Every single one of us, no exclusions here, every single one of us has a job to do in the kingdom. Your talents and your, your calling for your job is different than mine, but every one of us combine our callings together to take the good news to the world. You know, the church will fall short if any one of us say, let somebody else do it. The church will fall short based on one. Do your part. Do your job. Laziness is not to be found in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, when you and I get to heaven, and I'm almost done here, but when you and I, here's, here's my watch. I, I don't see that thing on the, on the wall. Let me get my watch. When you and I get to heaven, I want you to think forward with me. When you and I get to heaven as a believer in the Lord Jesus, surrender to him, saved through him, we're not going to meet another lost person. That ministry is done, over, for eternity. We won't have the honor of teaching or bringing our grandchild to Jesus as Savior. You know, that's key on my mind these days. I want my two little boys to know Jesus. Before I leave this earth, we won't be asked to go feed the hungry. We won't be asked to go visit the prison. We won't be asked to go keep somebody company in a nursing home because none of those things will ever exist again in heaven. I just want you to understand, family, that all of our opportunity for ministry and reaching people is right now. In this little slice of time that we share together, it's right now. Don't be lazy. You do the will of God in your life. Old James chapter 4 verse 14 speaking to me more and more every day. Here's what James says under the inspiration of God. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. These earthly years go quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Don't waste a day. Don't waste time. It is too valuable, and the need is too great for any one of us to waste time. 
What great closing words of First and Second Thessalonians, and they're great closing words from me to you, Clifford Baptist Church. Love each other. Keep doing the work of Jesus in here and out there. How important that is for us. Love Jesus, love the Word, work together, and work hard. That's what Paul told this church. It passes to us today. If you're here and you, or you're listening online and you've never come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, he gives me the opportunity and the privilege of giving an invitation. Not mine, it's his. Praise God he allows me to speak it. If you've never developed or come to a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm not inviting you to a religion. I'm inviting you to a relationship with a living Savior. And he loves you. He loves you so much that he went to a cross, the perfect Lamb of God, and he died for sinners. He died for me. He died that I might be forgiven. He died that I might be able to give my life to him and surrender. And he died for you in the same way, that you could be a son or a daughter of God and that you could have life and peace and hope and blessing and that you can give your life and surrender to him. If you've never come to Jesus as Savior, I want you to know this. He already loves you. But in his heart, he desires to hear, Lord, because you love me so deeply, I love you. And I give my life to you. And I surrender to you as my Savior and my Lord so that I can live your will and so I can follow your footsteps. If you've never received him, Today is the day, and this is the moment. I'm not asking you to put it off for a day or a month or a year. I'm asking you today, right now, this second, will you say, Jesus, I know you love me, and I accept you as my Savior, and I give you my life. If this is your moment, you give it to him. Here in person, come to this altar. Let, let your church know that you have come to Jesus. If you are online with us, bow where you are right now. And we're going to say a prayer together. And this prayer has to be sincere and it has to be from your heart. So let's pray together, all of us. Lord God, thank you that you love me. You love me so much that Jesus went to a cross and died for me personally that I might be forgiven of all of my sin, the sins of my past the sins of today and even my sins of tomorrow thank you Lord that you love me so much I bow before you today this moment to say I love you I want to live in respect of you and I want to surrender my life to you thank you for allowing me and adopting me to be a son a daughter of God. Father, if that prayer was spoken from a sincere heart, a person who truly knows they need you and need that relationship with you, today, this moment, their eternity has changed. Perhaps someone in the world has prayed that prayer and I will not meet him or her until eternity comes. But I trust in all faith, Lord, that you will reach out and touch that life and save him or her. Father, for my brothers and sisters here, I thank you for 
this day and uh, this tough passage, Lord, a passage of tougher love. And yet, Lord God, I pray that you will help us to love Jesus and love one another. Love your word. Stand on it without compromise. And leave this place to claim the world for Jesus Christ. I pray your blessing and your miracles as Clifford Baptist Church continues to serve you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.